A listener note, this story is about rape investigations and includes descriptions of sexual violence. I just felt like I wasn't in the loop on anything, like I was bugging them. If they don't think the prosecutor's going to approve it, they don't exert the effort in maybe fully investigating it. I'm not positive that something didn't happen after she left your room. I'm not going to allow you to act like my detectives are not thoroughly investigating cases because it's going to sound good for your article. Essentially, it all comes down to whether or not, as a prosecutor, I believe that the evidence supports our burden, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. This is Dig, a podcast from the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Media. I'm Eleanor Klippenoff. So far, I've been telling you about Jen Sonato, the woman who reported a rape to the Louisville Metro Police Department in January 2018. Seven months later, police told the main suspect, the man Jen accused of rape, that he was off the hook. They had no plans to arrest him because Commonwealth Attorney Christy Gray had deemed it not a good case to try. LMPD told Jen that the investigation was ongoing, and it was. Police were waiting for DNA to come back from the crime lab, and they interviewed at least one other person of interest. But they ruled him out. No one told Jen any of this. She was home in Valparaiso, Indiana, still waiting for an arrest. I was getting so sick and tired of everybody back home. Have they gotten the guy yet? Have they gotten him? Yep, they found out who it was. All right, is he in jail yet? Nope. Why not? She was going to therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. She couldn't travel or stay in hotels anymore, so she was fighting to keep her job. And she was trying to understand how Louisville's system for handling rape cases worked. Back in Louisville, I was doing the same thing. I've spent the last year looking into all aspects of how rape cases are investigated and prosecuted here. By the time I met Jen in October 2019, I knew a lot more about how this system worked. I even knew some details about her case that she didn't. We're going to come back to Jen and get to all of that in the next episode. But first, we need to talk about the system. Because she is just one of the nearly 200 people who report a rape to Louisville Metro Police each year. And the way her case ended, cleared without an arrest, is the same way about half of all rapes reported to LMPD conclude. In my reporting, I have talked to police and prosecutors and nurses and experts and survivors from all over the state and the country. What I found is that Louisville is an outlier, not only in how often they clear rape cases without an arrest, but also in how the authorities talk about their approach to these cases. Assistant Commonwealth Attorney Christy Gray prosecutes sex crimes in Louisville. She's the one who screens most of the rape cases with police. She told me many rape cases just aren't likely to stand up in court. Sex crimes are harder to prove. I think any prosecutor will tell you that when you go to trial, um, I think juries struggle with making a decision when a defense is always going to say, if there's DNA, it's he said, she said, or vice versa. Um, And I think that juries struggle with understanding what proof beyond a reasonable doubt means when we're talking about a consent defense. Back in 2018, when I first started reporting on this, I asked Gray about why her office declines so many rape cases. I do think that we have to have better proof in these types of cases than we would in some types of cases. Jonathan Kurland is an attorney advisor with Equitas, an organization that develops best practices for prosecutors. Usually what we're hoping the practice is, is that the same standard that a prosecutor is using to approve other cases 
is also being used to make a charging decision in sexual violence cases. So if police are able to make an arrest with probable cause in a drug case, they should be able to do the same for a rape case. That's how it works in many other jurisdictions around the country and around Kentucky, like Lexington, the second largest city in the state, about 80 miles from Louisville. The decision to charge is the law enforcement's decision to charge or not. That's Fayette Commonwealth Attorney Luanna Redcorn, the elected prosecutor for felonies in Lexington. Prosecutors in her office do not decide who gets arrested in rape cases, or any cases. Her prosecutors are part of the area's sexual assault response team. Many jurisdictions, including Louisville, have these teams that are made up of police, prosecutors, and local advocates. Redcorn says Lexington's group is a little different because they discuss specific cases. At those meetings, we do talk about, you know, how strong is this? What do you, you know, what do you think um, might happen if this is all the evidence that we ever have? What's the potential for a successful prosecution? And we certainly speak candidly about those things. But the decision to charge is always the police's decision. Lexington and Louisville have similar arrest rates for rape cases. But the difference is in cases where they don't make arrests. When Lexington police believe there isn't enough evidence to make an arrest, the case stays open, rather than screening it with a prosecutor and marking it cleared. And when they do make an arrest, it's their decision. From there, prosecutors present cases to the grand jury. Redcorn says if the grand jury indicts, they prosecute. She says that means they sometimes end up with cases that may be difficult to win. I might look at a case and say, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be hard to have a successful outcome. But this offender, we need to go to trial anyway. We need to make sure that we're doing everything to make this person accountable for what they've done. Jonathan Curland from Equitas says these cases are hard, but they're not impossible. His group has identified some solutions, like getting better at jury selection and using expert witnesses to dispel common misconceptions about rape. The best way to get better at trying difficult rape cases is to try difficult rape cases. When you have evidence that if the jury applies the law, the offender should have been convicted, um, bringing that case forward, even if the jury doesn't return uh, what the expected result or what's, what's believed to be the correct result, just using that opportunity to start educating not only the broader jury pools, but the judges and defense attorneys in the system as well, and building this record. Prosecutors have an ethical obligation to only take cases they believe can stand up in court. But Curlin says that assessment should be based on what an unbiased jury should do under the law not what a jury might do, or what a bias jury would do, or what your last jury did. Otherwise, he says, prosecutors could end up talking themselves out of taking anything but the most egregious rape cases that have a guaranteed win. It's a good way to ensure a high conviction rate, which I should say, Louisville has. Of those cases that ended in an arrest, all but two of the concluded cases ended with a conviction for something. But Equitas and several other advocacy groups I spoke with want prosecutors to stop viewing success in terms of conviction rates. They want prosecutors to take the toughest cases as far as possible. Here's Kurland again. This is often a concept understood with homicides and murder cases is that the the challenging cases need to be brought. And in a victim-centered way, it it is hopefully also being done with, with sexual violence cases too, the same sort of prioritization we bring to murder cases on some levels being brought to sexual violence cases. In my interview with Louisville prosecutor Christy Gray, she talked at length about how hard it is to convince a jury to convict in a rape case, particularly when a suspect says it was consensual or there's alcohol involved or the assault happened in the context of a relationship. 
Only one of the rapes reported in Louisville in 2017 ended with a trial. Six cases are still ongoing. I've talked to prosecutors around the state about their approach to rape cases. They all agreed they're difficult. But many of them stressed to me that doesn't mean they're impossible. Chris Coran is the elected Commonwealth attorney for Warren County, which includes Bowling Green, the state's third largest city. Police in his jurisdiction do screen some cases, including rapes, with his office before making an arrest. But Coran has a reputation among victim advocates around the state for being just that, an advocate for victims. It's um, amazing to me at times where I've seen these victims rise to the occasion um, and and come into court and and face their um, perpetrators and you know, I can tell you so many times I sat there as we prepped them for trial and I thought this isn't going to go very well. But once they go in there, I think it can be cathartic and be empowering. He said he wouldn't subpoena a rape victim or compel them to testify. But also, he's never had to. You may have a victim who one day is going, you know, I don't want to go to court no matter what. And then as they get closer to having to make that final decision and going forward, um, they understand that it's something they need to do, not only for themselves, but, but for, for, for the prosecution of the case. There's one prosecutor in Kentucky who knows firsthand the value of having your day in court, Jenna McNeil Cassidy. When she was 16, she reported that her boyfriend's father had raped her. She says her case divided her Carroll County community, and she had every reason to not want to testify. But her prosecutor encouraged her and gently pushed her, and they took the case to trial. She testified, and the jury found him not guilty on the rape charges. She says people ask her all the time if she regrets going through with the trial. Absolutely not. It was completely worth it because I found justice in the fight for justice because I had people who could do something about what had happened to me. You know, the police with their badge and the prosecutor in the courtroom. Like, these people had the power to do something about what happened to me that I couldn't do. That experience put her on a path to law school. She became a prosecutor, and now she works under Redcorn at the Fayette Commonwealth Attorney's Office in Lexington. As a victim, she wanted to know that the police and prosecutors believed her. As a prosecutor, she says she works in an office that's willing to take cases as far as they can, even if it doesn't always go their way. I have a case right now. It's a serial rapist who I was actually a victim advocate when when his other case was here. And the prosecutor on that case, who is the director of SBU here, she proved that case beyond a reasonable doubt, and the jury would not convict. I mean, I'm serious. Like, And, of course, he's raped people since then. He's in our office right now for he's right now we're prosecuting him for rape first. She says they'll work just as hard on that one, even if it feels like an uphill battle. Because that's the job. That's not what Christy Gray in Louisville told me. She said an acquittal, seeing a suspect found not guilty by a jury, is worse than not trying the case at all. Realistically, we know that these people are going to reoffend. If they go to trial, if they get acquitted, I think that empowers offenders sometimes and could potentially make them more dangerous. So it's something that I I think a lot of these people commit these offenses believing that they're going to get away with it. And if they do in the form of an acquittal, it... I think it makes them all the more dangerous. But even if a rapist is eventually acquitted, they've already faced serious consequences. They've been arrested. Their name is public record. Their friends and family know they've been accused of rape. They might have had to post bail or sit in a jail cell. They have to get a lawyer and go to court. 
and maybe then they walk free. But is that person more empowered than someone who was never arrested? Or possibly never even knew the police were investigating them for rape in the first place? It's this possibility of acquittal that leads Christy Gray's office to reject so many rape cases before an arrest is even made. They're waiting for cases they can win, even if that means waiting for the perpetrator to strike again. Anytime you go in front of a jury with more than one victim who's making a similar complaint, it increases the likelihood that a jury's going to understand and believe these witnesses. I ran that by Liz Donegan, who you heard from last episode. She's the former Austin sex crime sergeant who now helps police agencies improve their response to sexual assault cases. We need to keep bringing these cases forward to help them understand these are the vast majority of rapists. They are your friends, your neighbors, your partners, your coaches, the guy sitting next to you at the bar. These are the vast majority of rapists and they are not held accountable for their crimes. The easy way out is saying they're, they're difficult, they're complex. We don't, want to, we don't want the victim to have to go through this. If the victim chooses that and you give them information so that they can make an informed decision about what is best for them, then I think we owe it to victims that they have a voice. In Louisville, few rape victims get that chance to have their voice heard in court. It's the funnel that I told you about before. 194 rapes reported to LMPD in 2017. Of those, 122 were cleared, meaning police had a suspect and probable cause to make an arrest. But of those 122 cases, only 30 were cleared by arrest. Mostly because the police presented the case to the prosecutor, and the prosecutor said no. Let's talk about the 30 cases prosecutors did agree to take. These cases have eyewitnesses, or confessions, or the suspect has a long criminal history of domestic violence. There are adults sexually abusing children and strangers randomly assaulting people. These are cases with serious injuries, lost pregnancies, children testing positive for sexually transmitted diseases. Here at the bottom of the funnel are the cases that police and prosecutors agree they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of 12 of their peers. By now, they have filtered out the cases where the victim wouldn't participate or there's a lack of evidence, and they're left with these 30 cases. What it says here is that on September 28, 2017, that you strangled your girlfriend. Her maternal uncle subjected her to sexual contact. He picked her up, threw her to the ground, and held her down and attempted to remove her pants. He then pulled down her pants and underwear. The defendant stated that he would not leave until the two had sex. There were 25 adult defendants. Six of the cases are still ongoing, and three of the defendants were accused of rape but arrested on less serious charges. There were five juvenile defendants. We can't know what happened with those cases because their files are confidential. These cases could come with serious jail time, 10 to 20 years for first-degree rape, or 20 to 50 years if the victim is under 12 or there's serious injury. But still, the funnel continues to narrow. All right, so the criminal attempt sodomy in the first degree has been dismissed. Count one, rape in the first degree, and count two, sodomy in the first degree, are being amended to sexual misconduct. Uh, the charge of rape one is going to be dismissed without prejudice. Um, the Commonwealth is um, dismissing the criminal attempt sodomy in the first degree. Judge Commonwealth will move to dismiss counts one and three of the indictment. Count one is rape in the first degree. Count three is persistent fel felony offender in the first degree. Almost all of the cases ended with a plea deal, an agreement between the prosecutor and the defense attorney to avoid going to trial. 
And in all but four rape cases, that plea came with the most serious charges dropped. In the end, only four convictions for rape, out of 194 reports of the same. A plea deal isn't necessarily a bad thing. Some were made at the victim's request, like if they felt they couldn't testify, or they just wanted the case over as quickly as possible. And some were in exchange for serious prison time. 16 years for rape, 7 years for child pornography, 5 years for wanton endangerment. But often, these pleas came with suspended or probated sentences, which means the offender isn't in custody, like the case of Anthony Antonio Jones. You approached the victim outside and inside the speedway located at 5608 Preston Highway. You then sat in the defendant's vehicle, in the victim's vehicle without permission while the victim was in the driver's seat. You were armed with a defaced handgun and threatened the victim with the handgun. The police report said he told the woman in the driver's seat, a stranger, to perform oral sex on him, and if she didn't, he would, quote, blow your brains out. She managed to escape into the Speedway gas station, and someone called the police. Jones fled, but he then returned to the scene while the police were still there. The victim identified him, and he was arrested. Jones was charged with attempted sodomy, wanton endangerment, and two gun charges. Jones did not respond to requests for comment. In lieu of a trial, he took a deal. They dropped one gun charge and the attempted sodomy. He'd plead guilty to the other two charges with a recommended five-year prison sentence. But then at the sentencing, his lawyer said this. We are here today asking to probate this sentence, this uh, five-year sentence. Jones's lawyer asked that the sentence be served as probation rather than prison time. The lawyer explained that Jones had a previous conviction and had completed diversion, a form of probation, without getting charged with any new crimes. The lawyer thought he didn't need prison time. The judge seemed to be on the fence. I guess the scary thing is that the person who can complete the diversion program, the person who can stand in front of me today and say all of the right things, um, I would never have anticipated that that person would have been in court with the charges that we have here. Who is the real Mr. Jones? This is a close call. In this moment, the prosecutor has a lot of power, at least as much as the defense attorney asking for the prison sentence to be probated. But the prosecutors took no stance either way. The judge agreed to the probation. Charged with attempted sodomy, pled guilty to wanton endangerment. Sentenced to five years, Anthony Antonio Jones, who was charged with holding someone at gunpoint and demanding oral sex, walked out of the courtroom that day. Here in Louisville, prosecutors get involved early in rape investigations because they say it helps them build better cases to take to court. We know it leads to prosecutors declining more than 40% of all rape cases before an arrest is made. The cases they do take almost all end with a plea deal, dropped rape charges, or little or no jail time. And those are just the rapes we know about. There's an even bigger number that are never reported at all. Honestly, you know, I think there's a strong likelihood that there is a possibility that cases get screened out and they go on to reoffend, and we don't ever know about it. Next time on Dig. Dig was reported by Eleanor Klibanoff, edited by Kate Howard, and produced by Laura Ellis. Jake Ryan and Alexander Kanick contributed to the reporting. Kojin Tashiro created our theme music with assistance from Ryan Marsh. Photos by Tyler Franklin and illustrations by Carrie Newmeyer. We receive support for this project from the Solutions Journalism Network. 
a nonprofit organization dedicated to rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems. Special thanks to Catherine Winter, Erica Peterson, Ashley Clark Thompson, and Jonice Franklin. See the photos and documents behind the story at kydig.org. From the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Media. My name is Keely Sorensen, and I'm the Vice President of Victim Services at RAIN, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. The National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-HOPE. The goal of the National Sexual Assault Hotline is really to help survivors and their loved ones learn more about sexual violence and take the next steps that they feel ready to take in their healing journey. What we want people to know is that if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual violence, please consider reaching out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline. We operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, both online and by telephone. 1-800-656-HOPE. We are here for you and we believe you.